Welcome to Australian Design Radio to provide Australia and the world with conversations and commentary on Australian design. I'm Flynn Tracy and filling in for Matt Leach tonight is Josie Young. Hello. Hey Josie. Hi. Just before we get we get started, shout out to Streamtime for having us here in their space again to record this episode. It's amazing how hard it actually is to find a quiet space, like even after hours, um, to get a whole bunch of busy designers and me um, together. Uh, so I thought I'd take this opportunity to mention something about Streamtime that we haven't done before, and that's that it's actually free. So you can try it out for free. In fact, the basic version is completely free uh, if you're a small business or freelancer. So definitely worth checking out. Their website is streamtime.net. That's the URL. Check it out. Um, who do we have here? Tonight on the show, we've got Kat Burgess from Frost Design. Kat Burgess is strategy director at Frost. She's been at Frost for an impressive 15 years, almost 17 years, she actually just told us, um, predating Vince Frost, actually, which is amazing. She's worked on many notable projects, some of which you might be familiar with, the rebranding of Broken Hill, um, the huge brand facelift of Woolworths, the rebranding of the suburb of Redfern in Sydney, Grovner Place, and the list goes on. We'll be delving further into some of these projects a little bit later on the show. Hi, Kat. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks for coming. Oh, it's so great to be here. Thank you so much. So you were you were just mentioning you have a child as well. I and do. You've got, I love that you got you got a phone call just before <laughs> encouraging you saying you can do it, Mum, which is just about the cutest thing I've heard in a really long time. Oh, if yeah. my wife listens to this, she'll know because I'm extremely clucky. <laughs> um, but that was super cool. Yeah, and isn't it great? I named my son after a typographic mark. You know, it shows how passionate I am about design, huh? So his name's Kerning. His, his name's Dash. Dash. I'm curious whether it's, is it, is it after M Dash or N Dash? Oh, well, we'll leave that as a mystery, <laughs> I think. <laughs> leave something to the imagination. Yeah. So we're going to kind of unpack you now. So um, before Frost... TV journalist, which we were talking about. I'm going to get some tips of how to use a microphone correctly after this, I'm sure. TV journalist, reporter for Channel 7. Is that is that the direction that you wanted to go at the beginning? And how the hell did you get where you are now? Well, yeah. Um, I, so I studied journalism when I left school. Um, to be honest, I had no idea what I really wanted to do. But going to live in Bathurst at a residential college looked pretty good after I'd grown up in a very boring part of Sydney on the North Shore and I really wanted to cut loose so it sounded pretty good to go to Bathurst and have no adults around which um, was a pretty wild time to be honest and uh, it was like that, that experience for me was really great like just learning about life getting a much more diverse perspective on what life could be and then it was funny because I was very into acting I was very into theatre and so I was meant to do a journalistic internship across the course of my degree and I never did and I left it until the very end after I graduated and I did an internship at Channel 7 and I really loved it. It was fortunate that, you know, so I got into TV journalism. I think it was because I turned up for work on Christmas Day that they thought, oh, she might be pretty good at this or pretty passionate. So I was at 7 for quite a few years and then um, what happened was uh, it was at a time when Christopher Scase, you might remember him, oh, sent yeah. the station broke. And it was funny, they fired all the young girls, you know, oh, <laughs> as oh, wow. often happens, you know, I think we were seen as cheap and disposable. Um, so that kind of set me on a completely different direction in my career. And then I ended up working in public affairs for about 10 years because it's very common when you're a journalist to cross over to the other side in PR and public affairs. And so, yeah, I ended up doing that, which um, I actually really loved as well. And I worked for lots of really high profile, mainly government clients. So I used to do public affairs for things like Sydney Water and Energy Australia. And I worked for one of the ministers in the state government for a while. And yeah, it was a pretty intense but awesome job to do. I loved it. 
one of your clients was Frost at one point, I believe. Well, is that yeah. True? Well, yeah. it was Emery Vincent back oh, in the day. A long time ago. Yeah, I um, I was actually a client of Emery Vincent's um, and they worked with us. Um, it was funny because they worked with us when I was at Sydney Water and then again when I was at Energy Australia, they did an annual report. And so I struck up quite a close friendship with uh, Penny Bowering, who used to run uh, Emory Vincent at that time, and she sort of said, "Oh, she actually said to my boss when I left Sydney Water to go and work for someone else, oh, if we'd known Kat was looking for a job, we might have offered her a chance to come and work here.'" And and I'd never really thought about anything like that. And then at one point, I think I had lunch with her and said, "Oh, were you serious that I could come and work for you?" And she went, "Yeah." And so then I kind of ended up landing in Emory Vincent, which was amazing. And like for me, I guess I've always had a very heightened uh, love of design and art. My mother is actually an artist. She's a printmaker. And she actually, we actually have an old reconditioned printing press still at our house. So I feel like I was kind of predestined wow. in some way to end up here. And then I grew up uh, in an archi- architect design house by Philip Cox. It was one of oh, his first. Oh, my chance. God. Yeah, so, and <laughs> there were like Maromeco curtains on the wall. And, no. You know, and I, I was really lucky. Like my mother's network of friends, a lot of them were really leading uh, visual artists. And um, so it was, it was a really creative upbringing. And, and when I first studied journalism, I actually wanted to, uh, be an arts journalist like I was very interested in art and design so but I probably didn't know that the role I did na- do now kind of even existed so it was just a sort of coming together of fate I guess mm. that kind of ended up that I got to where I am now yeah well, strategy has surely changed like over the time over that 15 years that was there was that your title at the no, time? no no not at all and it was funny because um Penny, who was an amazing leader of Emory Vincent, um, she used to always say that she'd just recruit for what she thought was talent. So she didn't necessarily go, okay, this is a particular role, but she just wanted to get the right mix of people in the Mm. business. So actually when I started, I didn't really know what I was going to do, which is a pretty crazy thing to do when you get a new job. But like I I really had a passion for the work that Emery Vincent was doing. Like they were obviously, um, you know, a very highly esteemed graphic design studio, but uh, very different to Frost, you know, and, uh, and, and, and it was funny because uh, when Vince first kind of arrived in Australia, and I'm, I'm not sure if everyone knows the history, but um, what happened was Emery Vincent became Emery Frost, which confused everyone because <laughs> Vincent, Vincent Frost, Emery Vincent, you know, was, people were very confused. Um, so it was much better when we became Frost. But like when he first arrived in Australia, it really was like this huge breath of fresh air into, I think, the Australian design community. Mm, and yeah. I think that a lot of people today, because, you know, we are like, you know, maybe 15 years on from when Vince arrived, don't appreciate the level of influence that he brought with him. And I think I was very, very lucky to see that firsthand um, and to see the way that he approaches approaches design and how different it was to what we did before and to understand um, how that's different. And, and, and like, obviously now I'm a passionate believer in that way. And I think he'd been very much um, brought up through the pentagram model of design where design isn't just about decoration and it isn't just about aesthetics, it's actually about communicating and ideas. And so for me, I guess, um, having a background in journalism and reporting and communication, like I found that a, you know, a really exciting thing to be a part of. Mm. Amazing. It's come full circle for you. <laughs> it has. And that's what's so funny. Like, I laugh because, um, you know, I, I, I was a television reporter. I used to write scripts and now I find myself back writing scripts for content. So yeah. it, it has come full circle. It's lucky that, isn't it? You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's amazing. Typical day as a brand strategist. And, and uh, immediately after this question, I've just put in brackets, is there a normal day as a brand strategist? <laughs> well, 
The answer is no, there isn't really a typical day. I mean, and I think one of the things that hopefully one of the benefits of having been a reporter and having been in public affairs is being able to think on your feet uh, and also being quite capable of sort of assimilating information and kind of making a logical approach out of that. So that's a lot of what my day involves is kind of um, interacting with clients, interacting with creatives, often trying to simplify things that are overcomplicated. Like a lot of the role of strategy is to give direction and to give direction you have to be able to prioritise and so you have to be able to assess often like huge amounts of information and get that into something that's workable for people to work off. And so the ability to kind of be able to understand what's important and what you need to prioritise, that's what a lot of my day is about, is giving kind of that sense of clarity and injecting clarity into situations. So yeah, wow, that's, that's really kind interesting of interesting way to kind of think about it. It's like you remind me of triage a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe at times, definitely. <laughs> and is that something that you've developed, like a skill that you've developed over time? Is that something you feel like you brought to the role immediately? I think brand strategy itself as a discipline is changing at the moment. And I think that, I think that you've got the interbrand style of strategist where they come from a very kind of um, a system of rigour and it's very much kind of a process and, it, and you know, that, that's sort of a very well-established field. And then you've got a lot of us who are working as strategists who are more, um, how do I put it, uh, practitioners who've come up through having a lot of expertise and experience to lots of different things and so it's not so much about a process it's more about a way of thinking Mm. Um, and and I've been very lucky because along the way through the people that I've collaborated with like organizations like Naked or other um, agent creative agencies or people who've come in and worked with me at Frost like I think that I've had a lot of interaction with other strategists and for me it's not so much about a tool or about a process it's about your capacity to really understand what's the real problem we're trying to solve and then to come out of that with an actionable path forward. And the other thing that's very important to me is because I work in a creative agency, I'm always framing in a brand that hopefully is actionable into good quality creative. And this is something that I think occasionally some brand strategists perhaps aren't as good at. I don't want to say that, you know, but they're not thinking so much about the strategy, uh, about the creative. Because I've always worked really side by side with creatives and I have a real, like a huge respect for what creatives do and the power of intuitive thinking as well as rational thinking. Like I'm always looking for something that's got legs that will be able to kind of turn into something that is creatively fruitful because uh, what I always believe is if you can't see the strategy in the creative if you can't see the strategy in the eventual communication Mm. the strategy didn't exist Mm. it's non-existent because it's not actually there anymore so if you can't actually um, communicate what that brand is about properly to a creative or you know and I don't want to say and that's not just graphic design anymore it's experience design it's so many other things as well beyond just identity design obviously but if you can't help the people who are your partners in creating a brand really understand what that brand's about well then you know you're not you can't be effective in your role Mm. so it's really important to be able to be thinking is this going to work in a creative framework is this going to work in an experiential framework like how fruitful is this idea rather than have I gone through an a to z process and come out with something that you know ticks all the boxes but 
it doesn't have any fertility, you know. Right. Mm. And uh, it's interesting for me because I think that a lot of people think that brand strategy is only a rational process. But for me, it has eureka moments the same way that creative does, you know, and you'll be in the shower and the moment that you can least write things down is where the ideas will start flowing. There's something about water for everyone, isn't there? Um, so, yeah, it does. And, and I think it's a bit like creatives too, that if you don't feel like you've had that eureka moment, if you don't feel like that moment where you hit what I call flow, where it's kind of really all kind of coming out of you and you feel really like, like great about your idea, like it often just means that you haven't clicked into that that kind of real solution that thing that's going to really get people excited like you've come you've worked through a process but you haven't actually transcended it into something that can really become something exciting for everyone to work off and um as i said at the outset a lot of that is about simplifying it's about coming down to a really clear powerful platform that you can just immediately go that's got so much potential and so much possibility and so hopefully the creatives get excited as well you know that's what I'm always aiming to do yeah I love that about the creative and the kind of um, strategy working hand in hand at all times I read an interview with you and you you'd said um, if the strategy is like five percent off the creative is always going to be in the complete wrong direction and I just love that so much yeah, and, and it's it's something that, like, probably sometimes the creatives really hate working with me because I'm always in there going, mm, like, I'm not sure. You're, like, you, you're always there testing the work. And I'm often, like, the voice of the client in the business too, that you're going, well, do you really understand what their business problem is? Because that's what we're really here to solve, you know, like, and that's one of the things that excites me so much about what we do is that we're using creativity to solve business problems. We're not just creating work to win awards or, you know, to look pretty, you know, and I think um, that's definitely the ethos of Frost, you know, that's something that Vince, you know, has really, you know, we're all very passionate about is, you know, we have to design success we're here to actually create real change we're here to make a difference we're Mm. not just here to make things for our portfolio you know and that's that's something that we're very passionate about so yeah Mm. the the strategy and the creative have to work side by side but I think the other thing that sometimes um, it's easy to overlook is that a brand has many dimensions Mm. and the creative expression of that is a very important dimension but these days, the most important expression of a brand is how does that organisation actually behave? You know, and, and we're seeing this right at the moment that when organisations are not aligning their values to those of their target audiences, that customers are getting pretty upset with those organisations. And things like the Royal Commission right now into banking, like we can see that, you know, it's a it's a sort of just an expectation of, of customers that a bank would be having their best financial interests at heart. Or it's the expectation of someone on Facebook that my information is safe there, that it's not going to be used to, you know, um, right. corrupt a political process. Mm. So, this this idea of values of what you stand for as an organization is becoming incredibly important and incredibly powerful in brands so what we have to really be making sure is that absolutely the creative is really important but it is just one dimension of a brand and um, what we're finding more and more is that as brand consultants um, organizations are really looking for us to go in and help them breed the right sort of cultures and help them help their staff really understand well what do those values stand for um, and so in brand consulting we're seeing the rise particularly of things like purpose like I'm sure you're all hearing about this purpose-driven brands because 
I kind of have, oh, it's not just my theory, but there's this real sense that um, the human qualities of an organisation, how it relates to us as people, is, is becoming really, really important in terms of how we consume. Whether we believe in that company, it's becoming just as important as what do they make. And mm. so uh, being able to manifest values that people go, yeah, I, I trust you, I believe in you, and I'm going to give you permission to communicate with me. That's kind of the world of communication we're in today. It's very different. So creating a brand that's going to give an organisation real meaning in that sense is something that I'm very passionate about. Wow. Well said. Um, a, lot of, a lot of things we could unpack there. Yeah. I really <laughs> like it. Um, yeah, the purpose thing, just on a personal note, um, it like has, you know, has really crept up on me in terms of how ma- I've mainstream it's almost become i went to purpose conference um recently and there's like 800 people there yeah and it was such a diverse group and that's what really surprised me because mm. i thought well who's gonna it was, it was expensive as well like for a conference like a lot of value in in what it was but it was expensive and i was thinking wait hang on if you're like doing a cool trendy startup where you're trying to sell tomatoes that turn into something else or something like that how do you have the money for something like this but it was brands sending their staff there to understand what is this movement about what is this culture about and how can we better understand it? And I was shocked. I was so shocked. Um, it just kind of hit me from, from the side. And as, you, as I hear you talk about that, like I see it in many other aspects. Online, we see it all the time. We see it through personal people posting about their Instagram stories and all sorts of stuff like that as well. And it's just coming out more and more and more. And there seems to be such a value there. So within that, clearly there's a lot of opportunity a- well. Absolutely. So, so the fundamental thing that's happening here is that the industrial economy that we were in before was all about manufacturing. It was all about mass. It was all about how can we drive down the cost of production? How can we have people on production lines? How do we produce more and more and more for cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and sell it to more and more people? Like that was the model that we were in during the industrial age, you know. What we're seeing is that that whole model doesn't work anymore mm. because what's happened is we're now in what's called the connection economy and what that the value is fundamentally driven by connections through people right so now we want brands to be human because we we want to decide well what people do we want to meet what sort of what sort of qualities does that organization have because i'm going to relate to it in a much more personal way like when they're in my inbox it's very different to even when they're an ad on a tv you know and even beyond that when they're in my facebook feed or and when i can have a dialogue and a conversation with them so things have really really changed and so the other thing that's really interesting in this and I, I want to admit that a lot of this theory comes from like um, Seth Godin who I'm sure you're familiar with who's like a leading mar- uh, marketing writer these days but what he's saying is that this is a phenomenal opportunity for creatives this new style of economy because what's happening is and this is a bit of a preview of some of the things I'm going to talk about next week at, at the design conference. What's happening is that we don't have to just talk to mass markets anymore on TV, which is really expensive. We can get into much smaller markets where people are much more individualised and where they want to have genuine conversations with people like them. So it's kind of going things that are more on the fringe, things that in the past might have been more kind of weird, for want of a better word, or more distinctive. They can now get deep and genuine markets. So rather than having huge mass markets, we're getting more uh, niche markets, but they're still of a genuine size and scale. And, And this is this whole thing of, because what's happening now is so much of what we're doing is um, what's called self-actualization through brands. So we we consume 
to reinforce what we stand for, we consume to reinforce what we believe in, then uh, we're picking things, we're being very discerning. We can see very quickly whether um, a brand is sincere or whether it's authentic and all those sort of things. So yeah, we want to know, well, what do you really believe in? Like if I'm going to give you your money, you know, like I've just changed all my superannuation to be uh, ethical super because I go, well, I'm a vegan, I like I, all these things, you know, <laughs> obviously yeah. I'm trying to be as ethical as I can in my life and then when I go, well, you know, I've got to really make that something that I believe all the way through and I think yeah. this is happening more and more for people mm. that they want to, they want to put their money where their beliefs are and so... This is a huge opportunity for brands. It's also a huge opportunity for creativity because what we're seeing is the unusual, the weird, the distinctive, that's becoming more and more important because people are really time poor and the more we see that just all feels the same, like that doesn't get our attention. Mm. You know, again, back to Seth Godin, it's the purple cow. Like if you're not seeing this unusual purple cow after a while, they're just cows. You don't tell anyone about it. You don't notice it. So he talks a lot about remarkability. Is it worth talking about? Is it worth sharing? And I really believe in this. So us as agencies, when we're thinking about creating brands, when we're thinking about creativity, like this is saying you can use your creativity in an incredibly strong way but you have to use it in a way that's accountable. Mm. You can't just unleash it and do the weird because you like the weird. You've got to go, how well do I understand this market? How well do I really understand their values? And now we have incredible depth of data and information that we never had before. So really research and understand the people I'm trying to reach, really understand what they value and really help this company, if they believe in that too, to have a meaningful relationship and dialogue with their tribe and I think this is the big change and so yeah absolutely we want to know well what do you stand for and and do I believe in that mm. tribe and purple cow <laughs> oh um, Seth like thank it. you he, he does actually <laughs> say that he likes people stealing his ideas oh, really? so yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan you know it's great yeah you just remind me a lot about of, of tribes and isn't it interesting how further and further down that rabbit hole we've come yeah um, and it's just like exactly tribes so, yeah but those tribes are, enormous now mm. thanks to the power of the internet and social media and computers in our pockets and stuff like that yeah totally we're going to steer direction a little bit differently <laughs> now um i'm really interested to talk, talk to you about kind of women in senior roles so in your 15 years at frost you've maintained a pretty senior role which is something that as a woman unfortunately isn't as common as it should be what role do you think the structure of business plays in kind of fostering the growth of women into senior roles well, I think the thing is that it can't happen by accident, you know, and I was really lucky because um, I've always been really supported by Frost. Like I work four days a week. I work very flexible hours. Like I was um, given paid maternity leave, like all of these incredible things. And I have a huge debt of gratitude to Frost for that. And I think that it's one of the reasons why I've stayed there so long because there is, um, for me, like I really do value that they have valued me and given me opportunities to work uh, in a very flexible way because, you know, I'm a working mother. I'm actually a single parent. So, mm. you know, sometimes you're juggling a lot of stuff. And I think that the reality is, you know, we were talking before about we're not an industrial economy anymore. Like mm. we can work anywhere. You can work off your phone. You can work out of anywhere, you know. So there's no need for you to be chained to a desk anymore. And I think this is the thing that we're seeing is that more and more all workers, whether they're women or whoever they are, we want to be empowered to deliver outcomes rather than kind of being chained to a desk or seen as kind of, um, you know, being being in what's called the old command and control model where you have a boss saying, do that, and you go, no, I've done it. Can I get a gold star, please? Like, things are changing. Yeah. So I think that the overall changing pattern in uh, the nature of work 
mm. is, is great for that. But what I really believe is that organisations need to take diversity really, really seriously. Mm. And it's really great seeing organisations like MNC do the 50-50 by 2020 and saying we have to actually positively recruit to make sure that we're representational of the societies that we're within. Mm. And I really strongly believe that about gender diversity. I think that, yes, um, leaders within businesses have to go do we have 50-50 here? Are we actually making sure that we're putting women in senior roles, that we're um, sometimes proactively discriminating towards female candidates to make mm. sure that we have that representation? But I think that that's in, in many other ways as well. It should also be, you know, we should have diversity of all sorts of people and we need businesses to be really understanding that historically the system was very much skewed towards um you know, dare I say, white males. <laughs> um, and, and, and I am uh, currently yeah. a white male. <laughs> but they're sitting with two show, women, so it's yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, but you know. okay, because Matt isn't here, so it's not two white males. But you know what I mean, like we do have to oh, kind of yeah. go, totally. yeah, um, that, that, and, and that's, that's an entrenched um, system that's been built over many, many generations. Absolutely. So you yeah. can't turn that around by just going, I hope, let's hope no. it changes. Like women have to step up and people like Cheryl Sandberg, mm-hmm. Sandberg have been very important in talking about leaning in and mm-hmm. how workplaces have to be more diverse and how that, how they needed to accommodate her needs as a parent. And yeah, I think that in general, we're, we're all finding that our personal lives and our work lives are blurring. You know, they're all, you know, it's all coming together, you know, in different ways. So it's really about how does that individual uh, need to work and how do I execute, how do I get the best value out of each person? Because there's power in difference, mm. you know, and there's yeah. power in having people can think in different ways. You know, sometimes I think it's good for businesses to have strong role models, I guess, like me, who are women who are working in senior roles and other women who maybe are coming up through Froskins go, okay, that's possible for me to get to that, you know. Yeah. Um, but I think within our industry in general, it would be good to be having a, a stronger conversation around gender. Like we do find that, you know, perhaps it's not as representational as it should be. And I think, I mean, I, I know myself when I first started working in creative industries, like I was really concerned about how much time, like you have to work outside of normal office hours and how much overtime was potentially required in my job and would I be able to do that if I was a parent, you know? Mm. And, and what happens if you get your boss's job as well? <laughs> yeah. Surely they're like w- working even harder and <laughs> yeah, but, potentially even longer, even later. But I think stuff. it's about working smarter, not longer. And, right. and I think it's interesting because I see lots of creative businesses now as as you know things are becoming more flexible and let's remember it was a long time ago when I started working in in a creative industry we didn't have Apple phones believe it or not iPhones you know so you couldn't work so much out of the office you know Mm. Um, but I think I think what's really really important is that we have to really understand that diversity it's one of the pressing issues of this century I think Uh, all of my clients they're constantly talking about it they're really wanting to make sure that that diversity is something that's taken really seriously mm. within their business so you know we're often there as the vanguards of 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 um, what an organization s- should stand for when we're when we're uh, creating brand strategy so we need we need to practice what we preach we yeah. need to show that we understand that and that we champion it as well you know we can't be in there saying you need to be diverse and then <laughs> not having that in our own spaces. yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah and obviously gender is is the 
tip of the diversity and inclusion kind of iceberg and there's so much beneath that that, that needs to be unpacked and discussed. I'm actually reading at the moment um, Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay and it's just opening my eyes up to a whole world of things that I kind of yeah. was, was just closed off to before and she says something really amazing about about this kind of role we play in change. She said all it takes to change something is intent and effort and intent is the easiest part. It, it's, it's going okay, we intend to change this, but effort's the hard part. Effort's the bit that you've got to keep at yeah, forever totally. and ever and ever. And, and yeah, I think that's where we need to focus on more as an industry is that effort part. I think as an intent where there, where we've got the intent because it's in discussions at the moment, everybody's talking about it, but the effort is what we really need to work on. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's interesting. Um, I became a bit obsessed with, has, have you seen Transparent? No, I haven't oh, watched that. Phenomenally good. Um, so Jill Soloway, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she's yeah created this series that's on um, it's on Amazon Prime. Everyone says to me, "What is Amazon Prime?" It's like <laughs> the next Netflix. Uh, there's another one. Can you believe it? There's more TV to watch. But Transparent, like it's such an interesting series. It really looks at gender in very interesting ways. You know, uh, it's not just women that need to have the gender divide addressed. It's mm. lots of other. Uh, issues to do with identity and it's interesting because uh, as we said at the beginning I've got a 13 year old and Mm. his perception of gender is so different you know Um, he just sees it completely differently and it was interesting because he was like probably like the biggest campaigner for um, gay marriage of anyone I know like he went around he used to after school go to the uh, there was a like a store on Oxford Street and go and get stickers and stick them up all over Newtown and (laughs) he did his English assignment about my two dads and you know all about the gay marriage because for him he just it just didn't make any sense Mm. like if two people love each other like the law isn't there to stop that Mm. like why would that be the case? So, yeah, it's just so interesting because I think that we all know that we're living in a world of phenomenally accelerated change and we're seeing massive technological change. And I think in some cases, you know, we're seeing attitudinal change too, mm. obviously. And some of those things are happening faster than others. But, I mean, just with all the Harvey Weinstein scandal and all of that sort of stuff, like I think gender, you know, and diversity, these things are really top of mind, you know, mm. for business, for all of us as individuals. And, you know, it, it's. I think we're going to look back on this, you know, this first 20 years of this century and go, wow, what an era of change, you know. Mm. And so it's a very exciting time to be doing what we do, I think. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I had a follow-up question. You, you were talking about working with clients and sort of but working with them in their in regards to their diversity and their teams and all that sort of stuff. And you have to practice what you preach, of course, lead by example. In what way do you work? Like as a design, I'm trying to think about how as a design agency, how often this comes up, where you're working with them to instigate change in terms of who they hire and their diversity. Oh, yeah. Does well, that come up a lot? Well, it, it, so a lot of what we're doing is working from a framework of how do we define your brand? So we're looking at things like, what is your purpose? What are your values? What is your brand idea? So, yeah, definitely because often we'll be doing huge amounts of workshopping through through a business mm. and often that will be sometimes um, workshopping with staff. So I just recently did a project uh, where we flew all over Australia and did probably eight or nine workshops all throughout Australia with staff and then also workshop with management. And it was very interesting because the point of view of what uh, the senior leadership thought of what their staff thought it actually the staff were way out in front of where 
the management thought they would be. Uh, They were much more progressive in their thinking than what they expected, which was fantastic for that organisation. So when we then went back and defined the values and we went back and sort of shared the learnings that we had from that organisation, I think it gave them a sense of empowerment that they could shift the organisation forward faster than perhaps they'd thought before. So yeah, brand can go very deeply into business strategy. Clients often sort of say, oh yeah, we kind of knew all that about ourselves, but we could never kind of, we didn't know how to frame it before. Like often they'll say, it's kind of like you're a bit of a mirror, but before it was like the mirror was all smudged, but now we can actually see ourselves clearly in the mirror. So the thing that we're always trying to do is to be very genuine to that organisation, to not go, okay, suddenly you need to be this instead, but often you can unlock a lot of truths that they just haven't really necessarily recognised because it just hasn't been their focus before or they haven't done that exercise Mm -hmm. to really go and ask people, well, what do they value? Um, And in this particular case, you know, like diversity was really something that people were very, you know, concerned about. You know, they really care deeply about it. So, yeah, it did sort of come up into what those values of that company should be and how it would impact on recruitment. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it's exciting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's good to be part of that. Yeah, and, and I mean, that's why I kind of love what we do, you know, and um, like Frost is such an exciting place to work, like obviously, because uh, we often get led into organisations and to situations where people come to us looking for how can we help them um, change mm. uh, and not just change for the sake of it, but how, how can we work with them to deliver success you know and so you know it it it, it is very rewarding to to um go through a rebrand and to work with that organization and to help them kind of discover their true selves it's kind of like someone said to to me once it's almost like we're sort of psychologists for businesses in a way you know it's like we help you we counsel you you know we help you realize just need to get those benches in frost just in the waiting room just lie down (laughs) be the real you it's okay yeah but it is and in and in the same way that perhaps when you see a counsellor or a psychologist in the end you kind of feel much more confident in yourself Mm. and it's incredibly liberating it's kind of the same thing for businesses like they often Mm. come out of the process with this really reaffirmed sense of who they are and then the creative really helps them to manifest that and communicate that and so they do often like feel genuinely very transformed which is I mean what an amazing thing to be able to do I I love it you know so lucky (laughs) Um, so let's talk about some of these projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought we I thought we'd start with Redfern. We'll we'll talk about design conference in a little bit right at the end. I think and we'll mm. talk about that we're all going to go party up in Brisbane. Yeah. Although we're not because we're just we're, we're, work, we're, we're working, working from very Hayes. hard. We're all working from <laughs> um, and um, but yeah, a, a project that I've always loved is the Redfern rebrand. Um, I didn't know you could rebrand a suburb until the Redfern rebrand yeah and now I live in Redfern and now Frost calls Redfern home so I just I thought it could be a good process trying to say the word interesting too much, <laughs> um, to, to just hear about about that was that in 2000 and was that no two, th- 2011 oh, I feel probably okay you probably got a better that was a trick question that was wasn't a trick it question, that's right <laughs> I'm going to keep you on the toes. <laughs> Everything you've said has been absolutely perfect. I'm trying to trip you up. Um, but just, I just, I guess a, a snapshot of that process. Yeah. I actually don't know very much about the, the process of that. And Redfern has gone through so much change yeah. at that particular time with such a rich history um, of the first people. And now it's going through gentrification, all sorts of things. So I just want to hear the perspective uh, and the process of that. Yeah. Project. So that was a really interesting project because what had happened was council 
uh, the Rabbitohs, was, was Australian Technology Park, the local residents, a whole group of uh, people had got together and decided that they wanted to rebrand Redfern. Wow. So it wasn't so much a corporate project, which was really great. And council sort of facilitated it, mm. but there were lots of different people involved. Um, mm. And the Indigenous community as well was involved. Um, and so it was, it was really great. And I guess the key thing that they really wanted to do was to um, overcome a lot of the neg- negativity that did surround Redfern at that time. You know, obviously it had been horrific, some of the things that had happened in Redfern with um, TJ Hickey and all of those things. And, yeah. and that, But the main problem for them was the local economy also was really suffering. And all of, all of those uh, shops along Regent Street, they all used to have um, shutters on them where, um, you know, there was fear of crime. So, they, you know, you'd have these shutters so that once the business closed, they would be locked down virtually. And I don't know if you remember this, but the police moved into the TNT Plowers in Redfern. So it was a bit of a, you know, like probably somewhere in Sydney that at that time people might have felt a bit unsafe or a bit, you know, dubious about um, so it was a really interesting project and because it was commissioned by a group of different interests, they they kind of were, they knew what they wanted to have happen, but they also kind of really didn't know how to achieve it. And there was some concern of, oh, well, you know, how are you going to do this? Because should it be something Indigenous? Like, should it represent the fact that this is, you know, a very important um, location in terms of urban uh, Indigenous populations? And what's really interesting is that a lot of people are under the misconception that that sort of remnant... Uh, sorry, it's probably not the right word, but but the reason those populations were there was because of the railway yards. Yeah. They'd, they'd come to uh, Redfern and Everly to work, work at, yeah. at what is now Australian Technology Park, which used to be the railway workshops. So it was a magnet for uh, Aboriginal populations. A lot of people came from uh, country New South Wales to work there. So, you know, obviously... A very significant site, though, in terms of what it means to, to Indigenous people, and we wanted to do that very, very respectfully. Um, but also that there were many migrant populations in the area, a very significant component of um, community housing, uh, uh, and and so like lots of different interests, and then uh, you have Sydney University. You had what was going on with the technology park, like so many different things going on. And they were kind of going, well, how do you find any one symbol to represent all of that? And if you were to put something indigenous on it, like would that be wrong for the people who come from some other background or something else? Or how do you do it? So what was really interesting is that we. I'm doing it again. Interesting. What what was? Uh, it is interesting. It is way. interesting. It is. Very it's interesting. A, it's a perfect word. <laughs> it so what happened was we we um when, whenever we do destination branding, one of the things we want to do is actually get out into the place so uh, we went on a kind of tour if you like and met a whole lot of people in the area and talked to people who had different interests and then we also did workshops with people so we really did do it from the ground up and I think what was really the major insight out of that was that we went what do we really want this brand to do what's the real purpose of it and the thing that we sort of started to sense was that we needed to really use this brand to uh, address the barrier that was stopping people from coming to Redfern or giving them a negative attitude towards Redfern. So it wasn't so much about a representation of what is that suburb in Sydney. Uh, It's more what's the problem we need to solve through the brand. And what became really, really apparent was the fact that we needed to make people feel welcome. Like it it sort of seems really straightforward when you think about it. Um, But we sort of started to get 
a feeling for that. And then what we did was we did market research and what we found was that people who had never come to Redfern were really quite scared about it. They, they found it a very intimidating place. They've heard about it. Yeah, yeah of course. But it was changing yeah. at that time, right? So there was mm. carriage works and there were the markets and there was all this stuff going on. And once someone had actually visited Redfern, they thought of it completely differently. Mm. And so I guess understanding this issue, what we kind of did in our sort of diagnosis of the problem was said actually what you really need to do with this brand is to amplify the sense of welcome so that people don't feel afraid to come here and so that everyone feels like it's their place so the the whole kind of idea for the brand became about this idea of welcoming spirit um and and that word spirit is also to mm. do with this kind of indigenous idea of spirit of place and that sort of thing and came from uh conversations that we had with some of the indigenous leaders in the area um so this idea of welcoming spirit well then obviously we talk to our creative teams and they start thinking about that and then what was really great is well what makes you feel welcome is a smile you know mm. so then incredibly simple mark like the word red fern in the shape of a smile but it represents like many layers of things so obviously uh, there was a feeling of it that felt very much like that railway history uh, and people read lots into it too they go well it's black and white so it's kind of got that thing uh, within it as well but one of the things that um, the designer did, uh, and it was Ben Hennessy on our team working with Vince, that I think is brilliant, was he had this idea that you could kind of make faces with it as well. So sometimes this hasn't been seen, but it's like mm. you'd have two coffee cups and then you'd have the mark making the smile. And I've seen like that, that once or twice. Yeah, before. yeah. Not, not very often now, yeah, I think. Lots of years old. Yeah. But, but the thing um, about the idea of welcome was it was actionable. So you know how you were saying, Josie, before about, well, you can have the intention, but it's the action mm. that makes the difference. Yeah. Well, because we were dealing with local businesses and because we were dealing with people from the area, this was a very simple idea idea for them to amplify yeah. that what they had to do was make people feel welcome what could we do that <clears throat> pardon me when someone walks into my store I hyper index over the idea of making them feel welcome you know and so it was interesting because like we created coffee cups and we created t-shirts and we created bumper stickers and we like there were street banners there was all this very simple message of like you're welcome here you know so and I think you know like Redfern is changing phenomenally um you know it's kind of weird to me that we're in Everly Street Redfern mm. now our business I mean, have which, you seen Australian Technology Park recently yes like it's there's like 10 cranes or yes. something, the building, the new yeah, Combank building and everything there down. It's it's full on. It is. It <laughs> is. Uh, yeah. Mm. Um, so, you know, Redfern is changing. And like I'd like to think that that message of welcome was a really genuine thing that the people from the area wanted to say mm. about their place rather than place branding trying to be representational. Like, do you know what I mean? And yeah. mm. we work a lot in place branding and uh, that's what we're often trying to do is capture the spirit or capture the message of the place rather than capture the physical nature of that place, you know. And I think that this is something that I see in general about branding and brand design is that it's becoming less representational it's becoming more about feelings and emotions and how do we communicate with people so you know um so yeah that was that was an amazing project to work on where we where we hopefully really helped to uh, communicate a positive spirit that the people of the area had and that they could share with each other and they could share with people who were coming to their area mm. yeah well it's stood the test of time Let's hope so. <laughs> and do you know, do you know what? Um, <laughs> this is something that I'm really passionate about. And it's something, it's a new idea I've coined for this conference next week, which mm -hmm. is about fast design, right? So we talk about 
fast food and we talk about fast fashion and we inherently know about the disposability of that and Mm. the kind of junk nature of that and one of the things that I'm starting to feel really passionate about is that we don't create fast design like stuff that's designed to be disposable Mm. because we have a responsibility to make things that last Mm. and things that work so we have to think really deeply about what we're creating and we have to make sure that it's really fit for purpose and that it's something that isn't just kind of trendy and fashionable like mm. fast fashion mm. you know but that it's something that is going to have longevity because it's been really thought about carefully because there's been so much love and passion put into that that it's going to be something that is going to work yeah. you know over time and because think about what we do if we create junk you know and and just even if you just think about identity design if we create stuff that's disposable think about the amount of waste that, that can polluting the visual yeah. it is yeah it is i think it was massimo vignelli that said if you do it right it will last forever yeah i think i think that was a quote that i had on my instagram once upon a time <laughs> but you look at the great designers <laughs> and you look at um the great work that's been done by great creatives and it does transcend time and it's because it communicates mm. but also what i believe is it's because someone's really putting in a lot of effort mm. to do that and that's why um, when I say the word fast, it's not so much about like just the accelerated process that we're working within, although I think that it is a challenge for a lot of us. It's the kind of idea that you can just rip something off yeah. and copy it and put it out there quickly yeah. and not put the emotional labour in. Yeah. Because I think we all want to put the emotional labour in. I think that that's what makes our jobs so mm. fantastic, you know. And I think that for me, uh, uh, the emotional labour that gets put in at Frost is phenomenal it's huge Mm. we care so much about what we do you have no idea like how much work never sees a light of day because we're so hard on ourselves we you know we really want to do the right thing so much you know and that's why um hopefully our work on some level that gets communicated that we've really put the effort in and yeah i think it's this thing that we need to be thinking about in our area, in, in the responsibility we have to to our, our, our clients, but also to the people we're trying to communicate with, that we do stuff that really has value, you know, and that's going to have lasting value as much as we can. Mm. Mm, absolutely. I agree. Um, we might have time to chat about the Broken Hill yeah, project, great. if yeah. you like, which is... Um, also, what did, what did you call it? I was thinking of like I'm, I always think of like branded environments, but you kind of place like, well, branding or destination destination branding, branding yeah. which yeah. I actually made a note to to sort of say, oh, I've never heard that. That's really interesting. Oh. And then <laughs> the article about uh, the destination um, branding for Redfern that was written in 2011. You'd mentioned it then, and I went, well, <laughs> I guess that's not a new term. Maybe I've just missed something along oh, the way. No. So can you, yeah, can you tell us more about the Broken Hill Project? Yeah, so, I mean, again, what an amazing opportunity. And it, Broken Hill is, is such a phenomenal place. Like, people don't know a lot about Broken Hill. Broken Hill was a silver mining town. So when the gold rush was happening in uh, Victoria, the silver rush was happening in New South Wales in Broken Hill. And uh, Broken Hill um, was very, very affluent, you know, and, and actually Macquarie Street in Sydney, all of those buildings were built from the money that was being pumped out of Broken Hill, you right. know. So, so, like, sometimes, you know, you do a tender for a project, you think, oh, yeah, I'd quite like to do that, and then you win it, and you go, yeah, great, you know, I'd love to do that. But I don't think that we had any idea how great it was going to be 
to work with Broken Hill until we got there. And I remember when I flew into Broken Hill uh, with my one of my colleagues and we arrived and we landed and we drove into Broken Hill, we just went, oh, wow. Like, this is one of those places where that kind of postcard you've got in your head of what Broken Hill would be like, like it was like that, but even better. You know, <laughs> you know how so many times you go to somewhere it's a bit of a letdown? Yeah. Like, this was like my god this is so awesome like right through the middle of broken hill is the mine is what's called the line of load it's this huge hill Mm. and it's covered in mine tailings like mining is like a really real part of broken hill and so um the client we had and i'm going to call out to andrea roberts who we worked with because she was just the most amazing client she had worked extensively in tourism branding throughout australia she'd done um, work for Victoria. She she really knew her stuff, but she was from Broken Hill. She was what's called an A-lister, which means that you uh, are Broken Hill born and bred. You know, uh, it means you your family have been in the mines, and and right. and 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 you had certain entitlements from being an A-lister. Like it, it's incredible. Real you know, entitlements wow. or social from unions and all of that oh, sort of wow. stuff. Yeah. Oh, wow. So so. Um, it's like so, being a Quaker or something. Well, no, no, it's very, it's kind of all to do with like um, how they work the mines and how wow. the unions were involved in it. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of our entitlements as workers came from Broken Hill, you know, like um, they were very strongly unionised. Like obviously this is a place where people were risking their lives when they were going to work mm-hmm. and that they had to like institute, you know, like um, protect people's rights you know so you know you go there and there's still a very strong sense of that so yeah so we won this amazing project in broken hill we spent about a week there initially like again getting a sense of what the place was like running workshops with people understanding what that place was like and you know i remember them saying to us like we kind of know there's something special about this place but we're not sure what it is like we can't put our finger on it and this is where like we're really trying to unlock that what is that special thing about that place, not what are the physical characteristics of it. So when we arrived there, their logo was like a very Ken Doan style kangaroo with a hill, you know, broken hill. And it's the accessible outback. That was their line and it was about a kangaroo and where the outback and all that sort of stuff. And I guess this is when we were really looking at purpose and we were really looking at that sort of thing. And so um, what we really felt about Broken Hill um, was this idea that they um, champion things that are real, you know, and, and this idea. And again, this is, this is you know, before we did the Red, I think it's before we did the Redfern work, but it was quite a while ago before the authenticity movement and really hit full swing, you know, and I think mm. we're now all kind of really tired of the word authenticity. But I guess what we were highlighting for Broken Hill was that, you know, this is a place when you go there where you can drop all your ears and graces, where people are really genuine and where... Like there's sort of a sense of power in that, you know, that they're they're going to call it if you you know if you're bullshitting, they're going to call it right. Mm. They're for the real things. They're for the things that really matter. And it was incredibly empowering for them that we could reflect that and that we could in, we could create that as a platform for them to talk about that they're about the things that really matter. Um, and so again. Suddenly they had um, a whole platform to communicate off. Like when you say, well, we're for real. You know, I remember we wrote a manifesto. You know, us brand strategists always write brand (laughs) manifestos. And, you know, we were saying like, we're for real faces. We're for real experiences. We're for real, like the sort of families, uh, family, when it's okay for your kid to be out wandering the street because it's safe, all of those sorts of things. You know, so, and and part of what we were trying to do was to give them a, um, a platform 
to call bullshit on other people, to go, this is ridiculous. Like, you know, like why are, why are people even caring about mm. stuff that's trivial? Like come here and, and it was interesting because I think the idea kind of came out of some of the workshops we had where people talked about Broken Hill, about being a place where you could get a healthy sort of injection of reality as an antithesis to the sort of lives we're living where they're becoming more and more virtual and artificial and based around the wrong things you know the wrong values and part of what we were trying to do with the broken hill brand was to help their economy succession into things like tourism and to other things so why would you go to broken hill so for us this idea was incredibly appealing that you do go there and, and have this experience that makes you value things that are that are genuine that are important mm-hmm. yeah so again what a what an great amazing project, project. On, and yeah. and and the great thing is they still use it they understand it uh it helped them name that thing of what they're really about and as i said like p- people kind of often think regional parts of australia or you know things that aren't cities that that they're not sophisticated or that they're not empowered that couldn't be further from the truth with Broken Hill. You know, you have a very strong artistic community, Pro Heart was from Broken Hill, very well educated people because they've always been very affluent, very um, strong sense of social responsibility. And, and so one of the things that we put in their brand values was this idea of courage, you know, that they are courageous, that they are prepared to take stuff on, that they're prepared to fight the good fight for things that are important. So imagine kind of telling a council, <laughs> you mm. know, be courageous and the great thing is they have been like they've done incredible things like um they've done drag festivals they've done all these kind of really great things like they've kind of really uh, taken that brand and they've used it to you know really magnify their influence it's great um, to see a brand em- embrace something like that for yeah so long yeah yeah so it's been Again, Amazing. a wonderful thing to be involved with. And I think like whenever we're doing something like that, we're really trying to help empower that organisation or help empower that place. Like for me, that's the most rewarding thing we can do is mm. to um, to give them the tools they need to succeed. Mm. Like that's what we're wanting to do. That's fantastic. Um, we're actually, we're getting pretty close to the end of time. Next time we all see each other, well, not, not you and me, we'll see each other tomorrow at work. We will, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible segue. Um, but, uh, but we will all see each other collectively as a group in Brisbane. Next uh, week. I'm actually running the Q&A with you as well. So we'll just have the same conversation. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you, you were mentioning um, you're, you're crafting that talk at the moment. Any sort of, without giving too much away, any sort of insight into what you might be talking about, Kat? Yeah, stage? well, I guess um, quite a few of the subjects we've covered tonight, like mm. this whole idea of humanity and what role it has for us in creating brands and, and, and developing creative. So, yeah, some of the things that we've been talking about tonight. I mean, what an awesome conference. Like, I just feel so lucky to be going to it, let alone speaking at it. Um, and I think, like, for me, I guess as a brand strategist, it's slightly challenging because a lot of the people who will be in the room like want to see beautiful creative potential and they want to know, well, how do designers do that creative? And I just want to let you know I'm not going to give you <laughs> – I'm not going to be talking about that. Um, you know, like I guess um, I want to talk about our own values as creatives, like what we're out to do, like being able to do work that we really believe in, you know, and that that's kind of what we all want to do at the end of the day. And um, something I'm going to talk about probably – more briefly than I'd like to is well how do you find those things in yourself how do you mind yourself because that's ultimately what we're selling you know we're, we're having to dig deeply into ourselves um, and unlock our own creativity and so something that I really believe in is that 
um, meditation and and um, learning practices that help you spend time with your own uh, consciousness is a really important thing uh, today. Mm. Like we're all kind of just so far, so busy, don't have time, distracted, living very superficial lives often, you know, like Mm. bombarded by lots of stuff. And so the practice of meditation just gives you those moments to reflect and to kind of give your brain a bit of time to decompress. But um, it's really interesting. Meditation is often kind of referred to as a push-up for the brain. It's like exercise we're doing to help strengthen our uh, uh, mental faculties and so for us if if we're selling ourselves if we're selling our creative abilities we have to be doing those push-ups mm-hmm. we have to be giving our brains way of, ways of becoming stronger so yeah that's something that I'll be touching on but cool. uh, the rest you know we'll we'll leave until next week I guess All right. <laughs> cool. we'll awesome. see you at the yeah. bar as well yes. after yeah, post talk <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the letting your hair down a little bit yeah, fantastic. And awesome. Jesse, you're, you're doing some talking up there as yeah, well? Yeah, I'll be doing a talk with Chris at the high school's version of TDC, which is on the Wednesday before the conference. Um, so we're flying up on Tuesday, which will be fun. But yeah, cool. we'll all be there. That's so, so we'll cool. see each other in yeah. less than a week. Fantastic. And I mean, I, I just feel like as a creative community, we don't nearly get together enough. You know, mm. like we like for me, there's so much joy and fantastic stuff in what we do that we should... We should be getting together more and sharing our own experiences and building the strength of our own community. Like I, I find that something that's really, really important. And the, the problem is like the way that design is often, um, like the economics of design is often very competitive, you know, and that we're often kind of all fighting for the same client or whatever. So we don't share enough and we don't really kind of celebrate our own industry enough and support each other. So what, a, what an awesome mm. event this is, TDC. Like I think it's great. The initiative that sits behind it um and so yeah it's going to be awesome to see you all there and to be able to chat more about what we do you know yeah. it's fantastic yeah it's okay. going to be great um so what we usually do is we go around and find out where people can find out more about you um so obviously they can go to frost we'll put that in the show notes but are you uh, do you frequent twitter instagram anything like that is there any way you'd like to particularly to point people yeah um well i am on instagram and twitter probably with more crazy stuff of me going out and seeing bands and stuff like that yeah. than, uh, <laughs> than, you know, giving great insights. <laughs> but, um, yeah, definitely. I'm, uh, I think my it's at Cat Sydney is my Twitter address if you're looking for me. And I did that way before I understood, like, what a good handle would, you know, would be for your name. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things that I am kind of always slapping myself on the wrist on is not doing enough, like, just sharing ideas and thought leadership. So, again, mm. things like this are a great opportunity. You know, oft, so often we're really focused on doing our work and delivering our role that we don't spend the time to really build build the industry so it's great you're doing it all in in, in one, <laughs> two, one week. weeks. Yeah, two weeks <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just knock it out and then back to it yeah, back year. to the drawing you know back to the desk yeah. um there's also we we didn't cover it um just there's so much good content that we've already spoken about um but there was a defrost talk as well that's available online that we'll put in the show notes as yeah well, like yeah and people, that which is fantastic by the way Josie and i both yeah i watched yeah. it earlier today oh, there are a couple there's there's one i did about um meditation which you can look at which is from oh, a few years ago okay. which is about yeah meditation creativity and then there's one i did um last year which was about um storytelling so yeah there's there's awesome. some of that out there uh, if you're interested we'll put them in see you do give it you do give it back there's all these yeah. instances now yeah. you'll have you'll have this and then you'll have your talk as well <laughs> fantastic um, and Josie cool. where can people find out more about you um I'm at Josie Young on pretty much everything my Twitter one has an underscore on the end of it because the girl who's got my normal Twitter one 
has a Johnny Depp cover photo. It's really weird. Wow. So yeah, but you'll find me. So if you, if you just see Johnny Depp, you've gone too far. Yeah, I'm not back. the girl with the Johnny Depp cover photo. <laughs> can you please change your cover photo to Johnny Depp just to confuse people? No. Um, <laughs> so you can find me at Flynn Tracy on pretty much everything. And you can find this episode more at AUSDesignRadio.com. And you can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud at AUSDesignRadio. Thank you, Kat. Thank you, Josie. Thank you. Thank you.